We're on the Lord's team, the winning side. So raise your Welcome to the Catholic Man Show. We are on the Lord's team, the winning side. So raise your glass. Adam Minahan here sitting with David Niles in Studio One on the buttons. And we have a good friend of ours, a repeat guest, the Catholic, excuse me, the Catholic superintendent of the Diocese of Tulsa in eastern Oklahoma. David Dean, thanks for coming and hanging out with us again. Thanks, guys. It's great to be here. Uh, the last episode we did was on sports and virtue, correct? Correct. Yeah, that was a lot of that was a lot mm-hmm. of fun um, to talk about because a, a a topic that we that Dave and I have have discussed for many hours on how do we uh, use sports in the in a good way mm-hmm. for your children, but not to where it dominates yeah, not your as life, a, you know, idolized and right. So uh, we we had a really great conversation. Um, so you can go check that out on thecatholicmanshow.com to listen to that episode, uh, but. David, you uh, we're very happy to have you here in the diocese. One of the things that uh, we said in the last episode, or the the one we had with you, was one of the things that you're renowned for is is being mm-hmm. in the Integrated Humanities Program from mm-hmm. Kansas State, or Kansas. I'm sorry, not Kansas University State. Of Kansas. University of Kansas, mm-hmm. uh, which with is John in Senior, the state of Kansas, which is in yes, the state right. of Kansas. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but with John Senior and Doctor uh, Quinn mm-hmm. and what was it, Doctor Nellick? Nellick, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, I, I you, you were telling me this in the hall. One of the awesome things about working uh, in the diocese is that we have, uh, I get to work with you and Dr. Malosh and Dean Garlic and uh, Sarah James, all these people uh, who have just fascinating life stories, who have had a chance to meet with a lot of different people. Yeah. And so, like, I walked down the hallway and you were telling me this story uh, about being in Ireland with uh, 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 Dr. Senior and a bunch of other people. And I realized this is a great story we should we should talk about it on the show. And so, okay. so here you are. Well, thanks. Yeah, it's great to be here, and as always. Yeah. Uh, I know we've done this. We've done this before, but just for people who aren't familiar with the Integrated Humanities Program, just give a brief overview of what that was good and call. why it's important. Well, of course, it was sort of a form of a great books program. It was, it was two years. The first semester was Greek, second Romans, third medieval, and fourth modern. And three professors taught it as a, a, in a conversational mode. Uh, they would just read a passage from the Iliad or the Odyssey, and then they would the three of them would discuss it uh, in front of us, and there was about a hundred of us in the class, and and uh, there was you couldn't take notes, and they did not read from notes, and there was a lecture from notes, and so um, we really had to so sit and listen and exercise our memories and sort of enter into the moment of that passage and how they you know sort of enlightened and ex- explicated that particular passage and what it meant and and, and so forth, and so. I was, again, a, a two-year program, and there were other parts of it. We had to memorize poetry, and there was stargazing, and we had a waltz at the end of the year, and just lots of lot of rhetoric class. Uh, so, it, it was uh, it, it really formed our our imaginations um, in a in a particular way that to orient us toward you know goodness and truth and beauty uh, in a way that I think most of us would never even imagined. Uh, when I was in the program, we were coming off the '60s, and the the hippie element at, at KU was was very strong. It was known as the Berkeley of the Midwest at the time. Mm. 
Um, they tried to burn down the Union, I think, in 68 or 69, and I think mm. a student was actually shot uh, as part of that whole time frame. And so, again, there was this sort of bohemian atmosphere on campus. And in the midst of all that, you know, the, the sort of drug, sex, and rock and roll, as they used to say, the 60s and 70s, was you had this little program going on uh, with these three professors and these students and uh, talking about, again, the good, the true, and the beautiful, and, and I think we all know what, or most people know what, what came out of that or from that or flowed from that, and and this particular uh, event we're going to talk about was the uh, my senior year, the professors decided to take uh, a group of us uh, to Ireland, and that was, uh, it was all the students, I mean, anyone from freshmen to seniors could go, and even some former students, a couple of former students went. And so we were there for an entire semester. It was sort of based out of Galway. We, we took classes at the University of Galway, and, of course, the three professors taught classes. And so we, we had a full academic schedule, uh, every student did. And, and there were about 100 of us. And so they, they divided, we divided it up into really two essential groups. And we spent half the time in Galway. And then while half of us were in Galway, the other half were on this island called Anishboffin. Anishboffin. Uh, which I believe is uh, Gaelic for the white cow. Um, Island of the White Cow. Not what I thought you were going to (laughs) say. And, uh, but it it was, uh, I I think it's important to to state up front that the professors had this vision by going to Ireland that we could go back in time to a place uh, that was much different than, you know, 1970s America, because this would have been in 1976. Uh We took the trip. And that, you know, a lot less even technology. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. I know we have much more now than we did then. But to really go back to a place where we could see maybe what it was like to some degree, um, maybe, you know, 100 or so years ago, and especially when we were on the Anishboffin on the island, uh, there was no electricity as we know it. It, it was all the energy that uh, was run, uh, generated from a generator. And so when they turned the generator off, there was there's no electricity on the island, so they didn't have a refrigerator or no they things uh, like that. No, they had some, but they uh, when the generators would go off at night, it was about midnight, and then they'd crank them up about six in the morning. So mostly I guess, for lights. Yes, lights. But I think they, I think the uh, hotels had a had a couple refrigerators. There were two hotels on the island that had some refrigerators, and uh, of course, it's in January is very very cold there yeah. anyway. But um, the uh, it, it was really unique because when the lights went off, it, they were off. Um, if if you look on a map, Anishboffin is seven miles west of, of Ireland. So actually, we, to get there, we had to go on a boat mm-hmm. uh, run by this charming fellow named Patty, and that was truly his name. Right? I'm not making that up. Uh, it's not poetic license. The uh, and he was wonderful as we would go across the the water. He would tell us stories um, and. I was saying earlier, on some of the days, the, the waters were, were up and very rough. And so we didn't hear any many stories that day because we were all uh, busy throwing up on the side of the boat. Uh, but it has a way of bringing you together, right? There's nothing like throwing up yeah. with someone <laughs> in the ocean together. Yeah, group suffering, yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. And some were crawling. There was a little the old, thing under the boat. and That's why, you know, yeah. fraternities used to haze, you know. It's like, that's yeah, right. That's right. Bring, real, bring you together as a, a real class. Bonding. Yeah. Yes, right. A real bonding, yes. A real bonding. Remember that? Remember works, that day? Works for the military. Yeah, you know? he threw up all over me. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. It was yeah, the best. yeah, yeah. That, that was, was the day great. I knew we'd be friends forever. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> 
can't say that about everybody. And uh, but anyway, it was it was a great experience, and and uh, we I think we learned so much on that trip. But I I know this morning we wanted to talk about a particular event. Yeah, but so before we do, like, so they wanted you to go kind of back in time, so to speak, to Ireland. Mm-hmm. Why? Like, why? What was the like? Why out of everywhere in the world? Why? Why did they pick there? Like, what was the purpose of of going there? Well, I think at the time it was probably one of the few places you could go that you you could kind of step back in time, and it. it, it of course, the Irish are very poetic, as we all know. They're they're known for their poetry for for centuries and centuries, right? And and there's it's it's a place that's easy to walk. You know, they have those terms of Ireland, like, you know, to to sort of uh, amble across the heath or something like that, and down the little rocky paths and past the hedgerows. And at night, you know, you you think you see a leprechaun, you know, in the in the hedgerow mm-hmm. and. Uh, uh, we had some real interesting experiences that way that by just out walking at night and it, it, kind of entering into that mysterious uh, way of looking at a very poetic way of looking at things that, well, maybe there is a leprechaun, you know, in the, in the, in the hedgerow. And, you know, the Irish would kind of wink at you. They'd tell you stories about when they were pretty sure they saw one, right? And, or you could go out uh, with, I mean, seven miles off the coast and there's no electricity I mean, the stars were just glorious, right? I mean, you could see the stars on a on a clear night. And do you think that was one of the mo- uh, the biggest sells for him? Like, do you think that's why the, I, the stars? I th- yeah, I think so. And it, and it was you know would have been a relatively safe uh, place because they had the pro- in the program a couple of years before they'd done some trips to Italy and, and in Greece respectively, and they uh, there was a lot of problems there at the time. Mm-hmm. You know the the Red Party, you know, the Communist mm-hmm. Party, both in Athens and in in Italy, were very strong in the late sixties, early seventies, and so I think Ireland was seen as, as a relatively safe place to go to. I mean, because they mm-hmm. had to, with a hundred kids, you know, you had right. to be a little careful uh, in that regard. And so, yeah, I think a lot of things entered into it. It's just a there's something that about Ireland, it, it the castles and everything, it, right. it really pulls on your imagination and. You're able, at least to some degree, to enter into the into the past and what that must have looked like. Um, so. And if they're trying to expose you to the true, the good, and the beautiful, mm-hmm. you know, Ireland is a place where the beauty, the beautiful, is mm-hmm. inescapable. That's right. E- e- even in their voices, right? I mean, the, the yeah, lilt exactly. of the language, uh-huh. mm-hmm. the way they speak and 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 acted in a very simple life, especially on the island. It was people that were very simple, and I mean, that is, is of course a compliment. Um, mm-hmm. to, that sort of innocence and, and, and virtue and that, that goes with that. Um, and though there's another interesting story there too, they had the, you know, honest and not being critical, but you know, there, there was kind of a village drunk, right? As, as you read about in literature and, and they had one and they were very nice to him. And then when he got a little out of control or something, a couple of men would take him back to the house and say, okay, Johnny, you know, you've had enough now. Come on, let's go home. Uh-huh. And they'd walk him home and everybody's kind of okay with it. Right? It was very real. Yeah, very human. It's a community, a real community. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. So we're here with uh, David Dean, uh, super Catholic superintendent of the schools and diocese of Tulsa, in Eastern Oklahoma. We're going to continue the story of him with John Senior and a hundred students mm-hmm. in Ireland back in 1976. Mm-hmm. We'll be right back.
More than 60,000 men from around the world have journeyed through Exodus 90 together with their brothers. Priests, bishops, singled men, married men, Catholics, non-Catholics alike. One of the things we love receiving are emails from guys who signed up to do Exodus 90 through the Catholic Command Show and let us know how much freedom they've experienced once they go through the program. And it makes sense, right? Here's how it works. And these are the things that we talk about all the time on the Catholic Man Show, which is why we love promoting Exodus 90. They have three pillars. The, a pillar of prayer, a pillar of asceticism, and a, a pillar of fraternity. And through those three pillars, they help men grow closer to Christ, to their spouse, to their children, and to their friends. Closer to that man that God has called them to be. So go check out Exodus 90. They have Exodus 90 Lent as well. It's Exodus90.com slash TCMS for the Catholic Mantra. TCMS. Thank you to Exodus90 for being a sponsor of the Catholic Mantra. Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. I'm David Niles here with Adam Minahan. Our special guest today is Mr. David Dean, a man of many talents, many stories, many languages. I don't know about that. We also, I mean, we did mention <laughs> on, on the show a while back that we were taking Latin classes, and you yes. were, you're the teacher for, for the Latin classes yes. here in the diocese. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. And you used the same method that. John Sr. used. Correct. Very uh, oral method. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Ask a lot of questions, go around the room, pick out objects, and respond. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, hello, hey, or, you know, solve cuomodobales, and just enter into a real conversation with them. Right. In Latin. Yeah, I'm not sure how many people there are who are teaching Latin in that way today. You know, like, if people who are listening to us, mm-hmm. if they have even have an opportunity or a place to go to... Mm-hmm like learn latin like that but if you do if they do i would highly recommend it because i've told many people on the first day of class Mm -hmm. you were just up there saying things in latin and it was very strange because i knew what you were saying and good i don't speak like (laughs) this is first class i don't speak latin okay (laughs) but i don't get it because i know what you're saying you know like it Mm was it was a i was shocked and a lot of that is because you've had practice you know Mm -hmm. and you're very expressive and knew yeah. We're going to start simple, right? You know, but it's there, right? I mean, it's, yeah. it's something that it touches something in you, right? And um, even if it's foreign in one sense, it's not in another sense. Yeah, and uh, I think that's the beauty of it. It, 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 it. We want the language to become part of you. Uh, you know, the, our English word language just comes from uh, the Latin word lingua, which means tongue. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, language is not just a mental concept or construct. It it's, uh, should be in our tongues. It should be in our, our hands. We know we're expressive. Mm-hmm. And our, our fingers, our toes, our bodies, and so forth. And so that's, that's what real human language is. And, and so it, 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 I believe it also, you, one remembers it longer, right? It really enters into your memory and your imagination. And so if you talk to someone maybe 10 years after they've had Latin, if they've had oral Latin, they're more likely to remember things than if they had it the more traditional way. Like Where you're make, just conjugating verbs all day. Yeah, maybe memorizing it out of a book, which is, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, pretty boring. And yeah. and you do it, you know, so you get on to the next chapter and, and whatever, you know, get your, your A, hopefully. And right, because one, you're memorizing Latin, and then the other one, you're speaking Latin. Correct. Correct. Different things. And I think any, any person who's learned any language, any modern language, is the, the hardest part. Uh, of course, is to speak it. 
because then it's coming from you. Right. Like, you're yeah. Not, you're not reading off a page where the word's already there for you and you're assuming they're done accurately and correctly. The right. Mm-hmm. So um, you're having to generate that thought within your own mind and express it in your own way. And so that's obviously diff- more difficult. That's why it's easier to translate. Latin than it is to just speak it, right? But when you speak Mm -hmm. it, there's like a consummation with the language, right? It's like the two becoming one, and now it's like Latin is now a part of you. Correct, and I and I think that um, we we say this about the French, for example. You know that I think they're part of who the French are is their language. You know, we we oh certainly. You know, we talk about that. That's a very French thing, right? The the way they speak and the and and we tied into their personality, and there's Mm -hmm. so I think. Language is part of personality, right? And I'm sure it's true with the, you know, the Spanish and the, oh, definitely. the Germans. I mean, right. There's a reason why the Germans mm-hmm. are engineers. Correct. Because the German language is very precise. Correct. You know, it lends mm-hmm. itself towards an engineering mind. Right. Exactly. The, yeah. the movie Contact, mm-hmm. I think it's Contact. No, not Contact. That's with Jodie Foster. Uh, uh, it, it's about aliens, though. Uh, what, it came out just a few years ago. I'll have to I'll think about it. But anyway, it's about language and mm-hmm. how learning a different language changes the way you think, right? And it does. It, absolutely it, it does. It definitely does. There's, there's no question. You 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 learn even um, uh, I took French early on and, and you learn so much about French culture and, and, and how they think because they think differently. Mm. Uh, you know, every arrival. And, arrival. That's the movie. Thank you, Juan. Yeah. You you recommended it and I saw it. It's very good. Arrival is a great movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like I, I do recommend that movie. Yeah, have to watch that. I haven't seen that. Mm-hmm. It's all about it, it'll. Anyway, you should yeah. you de- definitely watch it. It's yeah. a good movie. I'll have to do that. Yeah. So yeah, I think language is, is part of who we are, mm-hmm. and uh, and we and if we can learn other languages, we learn a lot more uh-huh. uh, about of course those people and how they think and 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 you know, work and play and live life. Mm-hmm. And then I think that that um, that kind of broadens our horizon too. Mm-hmm. Um, by doing that, you begin to see the world in a different way, and I, and I think that's a good thing for, uh, especially today, right? When, when and you learn so much more about your own language. Correct. You know, it's like, mm. oh, we say it this way, mm-hmm. and it's like, and they say, it, oh, you guys say it like that. That's interesting. I've never thought about, mm-hmm. you know, that nuance to this idea or mm-hmm. this word or mm-hmm. you know this expression, the meaning of something. No, it's it's really true, David, and it's uh, you know they estimate. Two thirds of English comes from Latin, and some of that's directly, and some's indirectly. In other words, you know, Latin to French to English, uh-huh. or Latin Spanish to English, and so forth. But that's that's a big part of our our vocabulary, right? Two thirds yeah. of it, and yeah. so you do you begin to learn the roots of words, or maybe how they've morphed, you know, over over time, mm-hmm. uh, where it meant this five hundred years ago, but today the word has this shade of meaning, and so you got to work through that, mm-hmm. and uh, it does require, uh, it, I think, you know, it broadens your mind. It forces you to think precisely. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Latin and, and Greek particularly are, are very good for precision. Mm-hmm. And I think this is, you know, why the church will put all their documents in Latin mm-hmm. because it's mm-hmm. not going to change. Well, right? yeah, that's a benefit that, yeah, it's, it's yeah. a dead language. And praise, no. Praise God. I mean, well, it's not. <laughs> no, it's that's not good. That. We are speaking Latin, David. But it's, but it's good. good. <laughs> it's good because it's not... Uh, you know, like English, mm-hmm. think about how much the meaning of English words have changed mm-hmm. over the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't even know what a woman is anymore. I know. Okay? Uh, so, like, mulieris dignitatum, mm-hmm. if that was written in English, like, that would be all of a sudden about nothing. Is you know? Exactly. So, the yeah. fact that Latin isn't, mm-hmm. people don't speak it in a way where there's nuance into the lang- mm-hmm. introduced into the language, 
It yeah. preserves the meaning of, of those documents. We could call it non-binary dignitatum. <laughs> okay, so so John Cena. So they, they took you out to Ireland. Uh, you and a hundred uh, students. Yeah, roughly a hundred. Uh, r- yeah. Roughly a hundred students. You guys get out there, um, and you said you had your in two places: Galway and Ishinboffin. Anish, Anishboffin, Anishboffin, and you would you go change between each one right two weeks here two mm-hmm. weeks here two weeks you know so mm-hmm. uh you're there um so t- yeah. tell us so what happens we we arrived right the middle of, middle of january and so of course one group is in galway and, and, and the other half went out to the island and Ishbafen, and and so it was right around i think february second or third it was time to you know switch and so we get on a bus uh those of us, i was in galway and i remember dr senior's on the bus and we, we're getting on and I could tell you could tell something was wrong. Uh, it was my senior year, and so as, as a senior, there were several, you know, a number of other seniors, and we would kind of help, you know, in a minor way, just direct, you know, or help the younger students and so forth. And and so I knew Doc Senior pretty well by that point. I, it, I could tell something was really wrong. Um, he just wasn't acting himself. And so once we got on the bus, he we made, made an announcement that two of the boys that were already been on the island, la, uh, you know, the last two weeks with with the other group uh, were missing that they'd gone out the night before and they had not come back to the either one of the hotels. And so, of course, this was then the next morning and they still hadn't been found. So everybody was worried and very worried. And so he said, you know, we're, we're going to pray. And so we, we prayed a rosary amongst other things because it's about a almost an hour trip from uh, Galway on the bus up to Clagan, which is a little port city that I mentioned earlier. We take the boat over to the island. And so, because we're praying the whole way and we, we get on the boat and we finally get to the island, and so they still haven't found the boys. These two boys, uh, Richard Mathis and Ed Mall, uh, were their names. And so, again, since just because I was an older student, um, the professors asked me and a couple others to to go around the inside of the island. Uh, it's not that big of an island. Just walk on the inside. You know, maybe they're stuck in a cove or, or something, or maybe they got hurt and can't walk. You know, sure. And so, in the meantime, the the island people, a lot of them are fishermen, so they were already getting in their boats because it was the morning time now, and they were going to go around just the you know the circumference around the island and look in these different coves and places for them. And so we we started that process that morning, and uh, I just happened to be with a couple other guys and. And we saw the the boatmen sort of waving their hands in this particular cove, and so they had found the bodies, um, uh, you know, the boys underwater. So we went running over, and then you know, obviously it was them, and um, you know, unfortunately it was the two. But not wishing to think bad on anybody else, but you know it was. Right. Uh, and so one of the other guys ran back to the hotel to tell everybody, and so they went and they got the bodies in the boat. And the fishermen then took you know the bodies back to the, and so, uh, what we found out was there was these rocks called the stags, and there's a there's a good picture on was I think we're gonna try to pull it up here at some point but uh, for you but it, um, there's the island itself and then because we did this at one point I mean it was later, but. When it's low tide, you go across these rocks onto this big mound. And the, even during high tide, the mound is always above water. But remember, this is our first two weeks there. A couple boys from Kansas, right? They're, we're not 
used to the ocean or anything like this. Um, this this island is seven miles off the, the coast of Ireland, which is also an island. So you're literally out in the middle of the Atlantic. Well, the tide goes up and down about 15 feet a day in height. And they didn't know that. So when you look out from uh, west of the island, you're, you're looking at the Atlantic Ocean. The next piece of land is, is Canada, you know, if you could see that far. And so they're looking at this probably beautiful sunset on the ocean. And the um, unbeknownst to them, the tide comes in very rapidly and very hard. And all of a sudden, they look back, and the path to which they got onto this very sort of mound uh, is not there. It's all water. And it's getting dark. It's January. It's cold. Uh, the mist, you know, from the sea pounding on all these rocks and stuff is, I'm sure, was very intimidating to them. Not having grown up in, you know, around the ocean. Yeah. Uh, being basically sort of Kansas farm boys, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so, hang, so we'll, hang on yeah, right there. We'll, we'll yeah, finish on the other side of the break. We'll be right back. Hey guys, as most of you know, we're going on a Catholic Man Show pilgrimage this year in September to Ireland with Father Sean Donovan as our chaplain celebrating the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass every single day. We're going to go to Our Lady of Knock Shrine. We're going to go to the best local pubs in Ireland. We're also going to go on some private distillery tours that only our pilgrimage is going to get to go on. Only the people who are going with us. The due date uh, to sign up is in just a few days. July 15th is the last day to sign up. And we have just a few spots left. And we want you to come with us. Join us on a trip of a lifetime to Ireland. We go to holy sites. We try the best beer and the best whiskey in Ireland all together. It's going to be a blast. Join us. Go to thecatholicmanshow.com to find out more information. Welcome back to The Catholic Man Show. Here with David Dean talking about his trip to Ireland uh, for the Integrated Humanities Program back in the 70s. Uh, if you're just just tuning in on, on Catholic Radio, uh, go and check us out on thecatholicmanshow.com. You can get, check the whole podcast out because we're in the middle of a story. So uh, the two boys, they're up. They realize the tide has elevated. Correct. And they're, they're stranded there. Yeah, so they're looking at two options, right? Either stay on that mound all night. And, and from their perspective, they don't know if that's going to be underwater, maybe at three in the morning. I mean, right. they've never been there before. Right. And uh, Or the second option is to try to get back across. So they chose the second option. Uh, but the water there is obviously cold. Um, and with the tide coming in that strong, and there's these jagged rocks between the actual island and this mound, uh, Patty, the boatman, told me later that on, on one of the trips that, you know, once they were in the water, it was, it was over. Um, because they're going to get hypothermia and yeah, it's so cold. And then the, the, the tide and the waves come in so strong there that, um, it would throw the boys bodies against, you know, the rocks. Right. And then the, the tide would pull them back out and this just, you, you just, you, yeah, you're hopeless. You can't, you can't beat it. Right. You can't right. get out of it. And, uh, so happily, uh, and I'll explain that in a moment, but happily the bodies were found in that little cove because the, the Gulf Stream current comes up, you know, the Atlantic on, on the American side and swoops around up north and comes down past Ireland and then, of course, on down, you know, past England and France and so forth. 
And so this sort of thing has happened out there on the island, you know, in days gone by. Mm -hmm. And uh, sometimes they never find the bodies because the Gulf Current will uh-huh. pick up the body and sometimes they'll find the body down in you know France or Spain or somewhere and sometimes they never find the bodies. So obviously now knowing that this has happened to the boys, you, you obviously you want to find the bodies, right? Because right. For, for the parents' sake, so you yeah. can have a proper burial and all those good things. And so I say, that's why I say happily um, the bodies were found in this little cove and, and then uh, you know, Dr. Quinn had the, the very difficult job of flying home, you know, with the bodies and meeting the parents back in Kansas and attending the funerals and, you know, mm-hmm. obviously trying to explain what happened, how it happened and so forth. And so he did all that, of course, you know, the other two professors stayed with us. And then there was, uh, or actually before Professor Quinn left to go back to Kansas uh, for the funerals and so forth, it was the three professors met and they told us that, uh, well, we don't know. Uh, this was the first two weeks that we'd been in Ireland and we, just, we were there for the whole semester. And they were really seriously thinking about just canceling the trip and going home. Sure. Like this had happened. Yeah. So mm-hmm. this is a horrible, horrible tragedy. And maybe this is just a sign we should go home. And, uh, you know, we were all, I mean, I was, I was a very upset. I mean, it was a very emotional kind of time for everybody. And, so I think they made the right decision. Uh, we, we stayed. And I think for those of us as students, it really pulled us together. I, I didn't know Richard and Ed that well, but I certainly knew who they were. They were, I think, a year or two younger than me. Uh, but really good kids. I believe Ed was was considering the priesthood. I think when he got back from the trip to Ireland, he was uh, thinking about entering the seminary and so forth. And, and Richard may have had some you know ideas along that way too. But... Um, so we just, we stayed, and I think we all pulled together. And the interesting thing was, then the island people, and if you if you know the Irish, uh, while they're very jovial and fun, you know, we we always see them singing songs, you know, and 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 having a good time and having a pint of Guinness and those good things. But actually, they're at first they're they're kind of shy, you know, and reserved. And uh, the island people just, of course, they they felt horrible, right? I mean, not certainly wasn't their fault or anything, but. They just felt terrible for us, and we had, so we had this incredible bonding, and that lasted and for I mean, almost up till now. I, I've been back down a couple of times, and all I have to do is say that you know I was in that program because I don't look like now what I did then, right? <laughs> and uh, so, um, and they're just so warm and loving, and and it really, really did pull us pull us all mm. together. And and I think that once you know, after a little bit of time and. We, as we go back and forth, we like we're in the pubs and so forth with with the local, the natives of the island. You know, we'd be sitting around drinking a pint of Guinness and and just really entered into this much deeper conversations. It might begin about the two boys, but and then really get into to more you know other serious things about life. It wasn't just you know joking around, telling jokes at the bar kind of thing anymore. And 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 yet we, there was some of that. Obviously, you know, we had a lot of fun there. I. Um, I got duped once by a, one of the island men. I, I just bought a brand new Peterson pipe. You know, those are made in Dublin. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was the first time really I smoked a pipe. And so I bought this, you know, like tobacco that was like, it was probably like the Michelob Ultra of pipe tobaccos. And so, and I don't know what this fellow's name was. His name was Patty. I don't know. And uh, so he takes out his pocket knife and he cuts off this thing. It looks like a piece of tar. And you know, and I can't do his accent very well. But he's like, "Oh, you just, oh come on, have have a wee bit of this, but this in your pipe and smoke it." I just, 
and I'm, I'm an idiot, right? And so, <laughs> um, no, okay, I got my new pipe, I'll break it in. So he puts it in there, and he's kind of smiling, and and uh, have, you know, I've had several pints of Guinness by this point, as as he, and so we're just having a great time. And I literally take about two puffs of this pipe, and I just head out the front door <laughs> of the bar to the hedgerow and just toss it, you know, and all over the place. <clears throat> and he comes kind of waddling out. He is an older fellow. Oh, he's just laughing. Oh, he goes, oh, he goes, I, he goes, come on in. He goes, I'm going to buy you a pint and down. And uh, he's kind of patting me on the back, you know. And so once I finished uh, my business in the bushes, I uh, – we went back in and drank a couple more pints, and he just laughed the whole time. And of course, everybody in the bar was laughing. But I got a lot of free pints that night, and, uh, <laughs> and so it was, you know, it was worth it. Was out. worth it. It, it yeah. was worth it. And I learned don't when you first start to smoke a pipe, don't smoke something that looks like tar. Yeah, <laughs> or even ever maybe yes. maybe <laughs> ever yeah. maybe ever. But I you know I just not, that, not without doing some investigation. Yes, right? yes. Yeah. Lord knows what was in that. Thing. <laughs> So <laughs> don't smoke tar from strangers. I think yes, that's, that's a, a good. That's a, that's a takeaway. <laughs> no matter how many pints you've had, don't right. do that. You so, can write that down. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, one of life's lessons. <laughs> so, uh, but I, I just tell the story because it, it really, it really did pull us together, and that's the kind of and not, not that something like that happened all the time. But uh-huh. we would literally sit, you know, around and talk to the people, and and we we'd go to the church and go some pray, obviously for the boys, and yeah. in addition to going to you know Sunday mass and so forth. So it was that kind of that kind of moment. So I think it was really good that we stayed uh, for the remainder of the semester, and then very quickly uh, there was a, a movement, you know, with the professors amongst a lot of students and different people. To um, they hired a a gentleman I've forgotten his name now, but he designed these beautiful stained glass windows, which are in the church now. They're on an Ishbofen. Um, there's a, we have pictures of them. I think that can be put up uh, honoring the two boys. And then later, uh, after that, they also erected a, a cross out by the stags, very close to where you know the boys drown. So uh, it's a there's the cross. Yeah, there's, if you're on, you mm-hmm. go check us out on YouTube. So that way you can you can you can see that. But yeah, so that so they erected that on the island. Correct. And I think if you look in the background, there is that sort of mound, and there's a, a little area there. I can't really see it, of course, because it's a lower elevation, but where you cross the rocks and then. And so that's the area that would have been underwater during high tide right there. Correct. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. like I said, that, that tide wouldn't rise and fall about 10 or 15 feet a day. Sure. Yeah. And it's um, kind of another interesting story about the island is, is when you come into the port on Patty's little boat, um, there's a big rock, again, very similar to one of those you see in that picture. And it's called Bishop's Rock. And so when that charming fellow named Cromwell uh, came to, uh, to Ireland... Um, he tied the bishop at the time to that rock and just waited for the tide to come in. And unfortunately, you know, the bishop drowned um, on the rock, and thus it's called Bishop's Rock. And so this, but he received the glory of martyrdom, which is he did, which is incredibly awesome. He did, he really did. And so, again, the the sort of history there, these sort of things, and and the you know knowing. The land and the, I, I think, you know, back to what we said at the start about why would we go to Ireland. I remember one of Dr. Senior's books, um, he talks about, you know, reality and he talks about being a cowboy out in the, you know, in, in the rain coming off, you know, your anorak or your, down your boots and your spurs and, and uh, that that's, 
that's something every young man should do, right? That, that have that experience of being on a horse and, and sitting by the campfire afterwards and drinking coffee out of a some kind of metal mug or something. And and I think it's similar in Ireland, you know, to be out on these rocks and stuff and have hear the the sea crashing on the rocks, the mist coming up over you. And, and just taking in whatever sites are out there, it's like, okay, th- this is real. Mm-hmm. Mm. And unfortunately, in a tragic way, it, it turned out to be too real. Mm. Sure. You know, that yeah. On that one particular day. But again, that immersion in, into reality. And So you're there in Ireland, you know, right off the bat. You, the, the trip starts off with this mm-hmm. great tragedy, right? These two, two boys die. Mm-hmm. What did that do? I mean, you mentioned that the islanders, you know... Mm-hmm really embraced you um was there is there anything else that like you took away because this is a tragedy mm-hmm. but was was there any redemption like things that and we're about said, to come up to a break so yeah. okay but, uh, that there is and that's a great question so we'll, we can okay yeah okay. talk about that yeah. maybe and so what what, what, are, what were the names of the boys again uh, ed mall and richard mathis ed mall and richard mathis so mm-hmm. we can uh Make sure we say a prayer for their souls. Indeed. Um, and mm-hmm. pray that they uh, have entered into eternal glory. The, the glory eternal yes. glory. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. Especially, like, it's awesome that, you, you know, even to think that one of them was considering, at least one of them was considering mm-hmm. entering into seminary as Correct. well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, Not many people get to be in a stained glass window. That's right. That's right. It's pretty cool. That is cool. Very so, cool. There okay. they are. Yeah, there they are. Yeah. Okay, so uh, we're here with David Dean uh, talking about his trip to Ireland, and let's talk, let's talk about some redemption, some uh, some things that maybe that came out of this tragedy. Uh, we'll be right back. Hey guys, David Niles here. For those of you who don't know, for my day job, I'm a financial advisor, so I know firsthand how difficult investing can be. That's why I was so excited when we met Mark Lozano, founder and owner of Christ-Centered Capital. Mark's mission is to provide in-depth research and analysis on which companies and organizations align with Christian values and which ones don't. Of course, he's also seeking to provide investment recommendations and stock picks that have financial potential and are also aligned with Christian values. What I really love about what Mark is doing is that he's completely transparent about why a company might be a moral investment versus another one. He leaves it up to you so that you can make informed decisions. He's not just going to say, oh, this one's moral, this one's not. He'll give all of the reasons in the research that he's done with links to articles or whatever it may be, so that you can make the most informed decisions on your own investment portfolios. Because as Catholics, we have a duty to uphold Catholic values, and the same goes with our investments. So we want to be as virtuous as we can be, and Christ-Centered Capital is really invaluable. It's only $7 a month for you to go and sign up to get all of his recommendations and all of his research. To me, it's a no-brainer. If you're an investor and you want more information, go to ChristCenteredCapital.com and make sure to use promo code TCMS. 2022 for one month of free access, no obligation. That's TCMS, The Catholic Man Show, TCMS 2022. Welcome back to The Catholic Man Show. I'm David Niles, here with Adam Minahan and David Dean. We're talking about your trip, David, to Ireland, but uh, really the purpose of, of, of the story is... Um, kind of where we're getting to just the, the notion of um, redemption and suffering, good things coming out of tragedy, um, you know, obviously the crucifixion being the greatest example of mm-hmm. 
of this. Um, so tell us, you know, what was what was it like in the, the next weeks, you know, processing, dealing with, you know, the loss of these friends? Um, well, like I said, it, there, the first couple of weeks after, we <clears throat> obviously were very somber and things were very subdued and we obviously were praying a lot for the boys and kind of trying to just process this, right? I mean, why, why would this happen? I mean, here's two just very good, innocent boys from Kansas and we get to Ireland and it's no one's fault necessarily. Mm-hmm. It's not the Irish fault. It's not right. the Ireland people's fault. It's just, this is what nature does. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, really just trying to process that because right, in some sense, there's nothing more real than death, right? I mean, it, it just, like the old saying, you know, nothing will focus you like somebody pointing a gun at your head or something, right? right. I mean, you really focus your attention. And so in, in the same way, it, it, I mean, this really causes us to step back and focus and think and pray. And, and so we just obviously did that for a while. And we, we I mean, we kind of did it all during the trip. But at some point, too, you, you have to go on. Once the decision was made, we're going to stay there because we're all taking courses. And, you know, professors obviously did talk to us a lot about these sort of things about okay obviously it's a tragedy and we pray for these young men but at a certain point too like anything we need to carry on right we, you need to start working on your classes again and right we, we need to do some of the other things that we're going to do here since we've decided to stay and you know i they would say things of course i think that's what ed and richard would want right they'd want us to to carry on with what we're there to do <clears throat> and so uh, we did and so we eventually kind of come back to a little more uh, normal routine of, of just being students in, in Ireland. And so, but I'll never forget, uh, Dr. Senior said one day uh, that the, the two boys dying and they're drowning and then kind of kind of being a martyrs of sorts, um, that this, the, the redemptive part of it was that this may have been kind of the seed for, what then came out of the program later, um, much like the martyrs of the early church, uh, that um, you know, obviously the boys weren't really a martyr in the sense right. they were killed by. They didn't you die. For faith. They weren't di- died for the faith. Yeah, right. it was an, it, obviously by nature. It was an accident. An yeah. accident. But nonetheless, that there's some mystery here. You would say that uh, there's a reason for this. Uh, you know, God has a reason and. And so as time went on afterwards and as, you know, the, I think the effects of the program spread and are still are like here, you know, with you know, Clerk Creek mm-hmm. um, right outside of Tulsa here and, and just all the other good things that have happened that in some, and you know, God's mysterious way, the, the, the drowning of these two boys was a, was a way that it um, kind of a seed that spread, helped spread things just again, like the martyrs in the early church. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he would he would talk quite a bit about so the redemptive nature of that, and you know I think that that helped us a lot because for example I had just converted to the church and and you got to remember uh, like literally a month or two before that I I converted about a month before we left for Ireland and uh, we had a lot of students in the program that weren't even Catholic. And then you had some students in the program that were Catholic, but maybe not all that devout, mm-hmm. right? And then, of course, right. there were probably some that were. But anyway, we're, we're, so we're still trying to process all this. Why, why did this have to happen? What does it mean? Why would God allow this? You know, all the, the, the usual questions that one would ask. I mean, these are two just very innocent, young, good men. So um, I think, you know, the professors uh, really tried to help 
help us kind of work through that and process that and, and why would you know, say God allow this to happen and you know, why would it happen at all? And uh, so I think, I think that was a, a big part of it um, that, uh, and I think that what, you know, what came from that, you know, that same trip to Ireland, there was a group about 10 or 15 guys. I, I went on the trip as well, but we all went to visit Foncombeau in France and after that visit, um, which is the mother house of Clear Creek, correct, Abbey. Uh, yeah. correct, uh huh. And after that trip, as soon as we got back to the states, uh, about a half a dozen young men left for phone combo within like a few months of getting back, you know, to the states after this trip. And so again, to go be, become monks, yes, as right. novices, not just as a visit, but as no, uh-uh. a vocation, yeah. yeah, to be novices at, at phone combo. So. Uh, and several of those are still there, right? I mean, they're, they're now, well, now they're at Clear Creek. They uh-huh. were the founding, some, right. a, a few of the founding members at Clear Creek. So, again... Yeah, Clear Creek wouldn't exist if it hadn't have been for those, that group of people. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, correct. And there was actually one or two that had already gone to Foncombo. I mean, they were there as novices. They were, you know, a couple of years older, so they, weren't, they obviously weren't on the Ireland trip. But uh, And then, but the big group that went was really from this group that visited during that semester in Ireland. Mm-hmm. We all, we, well, we had to go across the channel, of course, you know, over to France. And then we, uh, we got, went to Paris and then we took a bus down towards Foncombeau, uh, because you, it's kind of hard to get to, you know, it's out in the middle of nowhere, nowhere. In, in France. So that's quite a journey actually. You got You have to want to get there to get there. Right. And you just don't, uh, monasteries are often that way. Yeah. Yeah. You've, you've got to have a good map or, uh, but, um, so again, you, you see a fruit that kind of comes from, from all this, this, this trip in, in general. And I would say it, tying that, you know, the death of those two boys into the bigger picture here, that there's no question there's, I think, a cause and effect going sure. on here. I mean, I think anytime you, that you, anyone experiences or is close to the death of a young person, especially, mm-hmm. it just, it does remind you that life mm-hmm. is fleeting. And, it is. you know, at, at any moment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you could be called to an account. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, we always think about like, oh, yeah, I'll die someday. You know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. that's, you don't, it's like, oh, that's not even something that's real because it, it doesn't seem real so far away. Mm-hmm. I'm not worried about it, but that's, uh, yeah. it could be a folly, mm-hmm. you know, if, if that's really our attitude. No, that's right. We, we, we don't know. And, and I think it, it, uh, it was one of the great lessons of the trip is the, what you just said. And that I think too, that really learning about, you know, mother nature. Um, I mean, we, in the Midwest, you know, we, we might be used to tornadoes, for example, mm-hmm. or maybe certain parts of the country may have earthquakes, you know, and so you, you kind of get used to that. But, but, but the power and the beauty of the ocean mm. is, is incredible. I, I know after that trip, I having grown up pretty much in the Midwest, such a great respect for the ocean and, and kind of a love of it too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's terrifying in one sense, and yet when it's placid and you're out looking at you know the sun on the kind of still waters, you know the shiny and uh, ocean, you know that glare and all that, it's 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 magnificent too. You know you kind of you see God's splendor and glory and magnificence in that and. And what again? So back to you know what we said to start this this immersion into reality. 
uh, that, that a different sort of reality that you're going to find in the Midwest. But uh, so for it was really just a, a great experience to see and hear even even the fishermen. You know, uh, a curious fact about them is they don't even learn how to swim <laughs> because. That's a little ridiculous. I think if I was yeah. a fisherman, yeah, I, would, well, I, was, I would definitely know how to swim. Well, and I'm shocked. Well, you know, when Patty Patty said that, what well, we don't even learn how to swim, and and so their thought is that, I mean, if you just fall off a small boat, and you know your your friends can kind of grab you and pull you back in, right? But if but if you fall off and no one knows it or or whatever, somehow you end up in the water. What's the point? You're not going to survive anyway. So why, but maybe, why flail around? Maybe you would if you could <laughs> swim. Well, I think the I mean, hypothermia I guess is... The water's also so cold that, like, yeah. swim, you're not going to go swimming, you no, know? No. 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 But, you know, that. but then, of course, what we did one day was, it was, you know, the manly man thing, right? You had to run out there man and up. Right. I, right, there in the, the right there in the bay, you know, where we would be somewhat safe anyway. But a group of us decided to go one day to go swimming in the bay there and it was cold yeah yes very cold and water is much colder than air that's the thing about yes, it yes yes and so you kind of see the point and again i don't know whether that's a good idea to as a fisherman learn to swim or not but they but they didn't right they just mm-hmm. didn't bother and and of course they probably would have had you would have probably so have some a life kind of, jacket or something <laughs> yeah so um but again it's it's again looking at the world a little different way mm-hmm. um and uh I think the William well, talked too much about the history, but the you know the poetry and the history of Ireland is is just a ho- another whole chapter of this that um, I think we all we all grew a lot. I remember one of the last days we were there on the island, Professor Nellick, who was an English professor, and we were you know we were reading some Irish poetry, and it was just a, a beautiful beautiful kind of spring day, and he just looked at us and he said, "Just go walk around the island." because this will be one of your last days. And you'll learn more by just walking around the island than I could ever teach you. And we got up, okay. We got up from our seats and we just went and walked around the island afternoon and just hmm. little small groups and talked and kind of just took it all in and watched the, watched the tide come in, as you say, and, and, just, and just experience it. So yeah. a couple of things that they did is, like we said, they, they put up a cross and a memorial for, for mm-hmm. the two boys. They also put a commission stained glass windows in the, Correct. In, in, mm-hmm. in the, for the church. But one of the things they also did that we've been kind of waiting to, to tell is they wrote a whole poem mm-hmm. about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you're listening on the radio, you go check us out on thecatholicmanshow.com. Check us out on the podcast group because we're going to have you read it. You have a uh, the poem framed uh, it was given to you every all, all the the people who, who went on the trip got a copy of one uh, got a copy of it so we're gonna have you read it yeah, written by a famous irish poet right? yes right. yes yeah. Huh? yeah so uh go check us out on the podcast david thanks so much for joining us we're on the lord's team the winning side so raise your glass and cheers to jesus okay okay yeah so i think yeah so yeah. maybe a little bit of a uh, so Brian McMahon is the is the author correct? Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah, he was a, a real Irish poet at the time. Uh, if you look him up, he's he passed away I think back in eighty eight or nineteen ninety. I can't remember. But um, he he's written plays, poetry, uh, short stories. Uh, again, he's 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 a real Irish poet. And 
So unbeknownst to us, uh, at some point during the semester, the professors obviously contacted him about uh, writing a poem. And so the last week we were in Ireland, we, we all of us, all hundred or so of us, we had they had a big uh, banquet at one of the castles there. And I, I feel terrible. I can't. Remember, I think it was Bunratty or maybe Napogue uh, Castle. You know, there's a number of castles there in, in Ireland, a, a very kind of medieval castle mm-hmm. with the big banquet halls and all that. And so unbeknownst to us, we. They announce it, and we all get on the buses. We go to this banquet, and uh, part of it is then this, they introduce Brian McMahon, uh, this Irish poet, and he stands up and he reads. He was he was there, not just was telling there. about him. He was there. Okay, he was sweet. there, and he actually he wrote this poem uh, in honor of, the, of Richard and Ed, and uh, so he he stood up and you know read it, recited it because it's his poem. And then, you know, we had a, a wonderful sort of medieval banquet meet and all the food and whatnot and drink. And so, uh, and then afterwards they said that we would, once we got home, they would give us a copy of it, uh, which, which they sent, you know, to all of us who were on the trip. And uh, so even that evening, I think was a very, you know, beautiful and fitting tribute to the, to the two boys uh, in a, in, in the most sort of Irish poetic way that you could do it. Yeah. Um, you know, a, a poem written by a, a real Irish poet and, and, and then celebrating that in this beautiful kind of ancient Irish castle. Um, so, um, it's entitled Boffin's So Beautiful Isle. And there's a short little, uh, introduction to the poem. It says, a ballad lamenting in traditional fashion the accidental death by drowning at the Stags in Nishboffin, Galway, Ireland, on February 3rd, 1976, of Richard Mathis and Edward Mall, members of the Integrated Humanities Program at the University of Kansas. So, okay. this is the poem. I shall pluck my strings and softly sing as a sorrowful tale I unfold of a student band who left their native land in search of the wisdom of old. On the Kansas plain, they crossed the main, flying mile after wearisome mile. Till to Ireland they came, and there they set sail for Boffin's so beautiful isle. Now, Boffin's a place which the Irish race holds fast in its love and its steam. To its rocky shore in the days of yore came Coleman, his monks, and a dream. There they raised a shrine to the glory of Christ. They fasted and prayed in gale. The ruins still stand at the head of the strand on Boffin's so beautiful isle. The students with love in their eyes came to study, to write, and pray. At Murray's and Day's in that lovely place, their labors soon, soon turned to play. While men of ideal made each vision seem real, and the blackbird with song did beguile, till they felt the cold breath of old Sergeant Death on Boffin's so beautiful isle. Two, hand, two friends, hand in hand, they played on the strand. They climbed to the loftiest crags. They probed the hills and the flowing rills till they came to the treacherous stags. 
Return, return, cried their friends in concern, for we trust not the dark ocean's veil. But the waters soon were their mournful tomb on Boffin's so beautiful isle. Then the radio sent its news of woe through length and breadth of the land. And soon the sad knell of the funeral bell was heard upon every hand. Then the island folk, as their sorrow broke, came thronging from rock and defile. And sharp and clean they passed the lonely keen on Boffin's so beautiful isle. The lark so gay at the break of day shall soar to the height of the sky, and the seagull glide over the broken tide to utter his piercing cry. The hare at morn shall leave his form and race for a pleasant mile, but never, never more shall these young men stroll on Boffin's so beautiful isle. They took them again to the Kansas on the Kansas plain to the bountiful land of their birth and they made their graves by the Missouri's waves and laid them to rest in the earth and many a comrade lass and lad who were wont but to laugh and to smile bent their heads and cried for the young men who died on Boffin's so beautiful isle at the close of day, should you chance to stray through Clifton to Clagan's gray pier, and in patio's boat, should you gently float to an island that's sunny and clear, and the churches glaze in color and blaze, a window shall you reconcile. So may God's mercy fall on young Mathis and Maul and on Boffin, Boffin's so beautiful isle. So may God's mercy fall on young Mathis and Maul, and on Boffin's so beautiful isle. The end. <laughs> nice. So, uh, yeah, it was very beautiful. Obviously, that, that night in that castle, there were lots of tears. Yeah, yeah I can imagine. Uh, yeah. It's very... Um, you know, again, it, that just that immersion into reality, right? Of the tears of sadness and kind of tears of joy, tears of beauty, uh, all the all the emotions of life just really kind of came out. Mm. And uh, I think there was there was kind of a, a silence in it all too. That um, mm-hmm. I mean, just for a few minutes of I just taken all that in. Mm-hmm. I can imagine uh, that you like may have returned home. I, I don't know like exactly how the right best way to put this is, but knowing that like you have uh, like with a greater dignity almost, mm-hmm. you know, y- obviously you go home to your other friends and now there's something different. Like, well, mm-hmm. I have suffered something, you know, there's something about me, mm-hmm. almost a nobility for having, I, I have gone through something real. Mm-hmm. I've gone through something important mm-hmm. um, that, that I don't share with you, you know, it kind of, mm-hmm. there's like this experience that now separates you and, and this, you know, this group of students mm-hmm. from everybody else. Um, and there is, there's almost a dignity, mm-hmm. 
you know, that like, oh, I, I've done something you haven't. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's, it's, it needs to be respected. Yeah, it, it, clearly it, it obviously, as I said at the start, it really pulled us together mm-hmm. uh, as a group of students and, and certainly with the professors. And it's something we had as long as, you know, professors were still alive and around. We, we obviously shared this kind of incredible experience. Um, but I think, too, David, to that point, another thing that I, what I kind of came home with, and I think the others did too, was that it really puts in perspective what's important in life, right? So, you know, we come back, we're, we're in this sort of environment of what the world would have been like 100 years ago. And we come back to America and it's very noisy and fast and <clears throat> all the you know, things we do in America to busy ourselves and, and actually isolate ourselves from reality. And it, so it was even more striking. It's like, okay, so much of what we worry about in our society and our, even our own lives is really not that important. Right. It's just yeah. not that important. And how distracted we are, you know, by our culture and that even when you get down like even to your own family, for example, that there are certain things that are so much more important than others. You know, and it's great certainly with your family to do the normal things, go have fun and hang out and just do kind of sometimes some kind of idle leisurely things. There's nothing wrong with that certainly, but it, um, it really pulls into a perspective, uh, to your point earlier, why are we here? Life can be very short. You don't know when that day's coming, when God's going to call us. Mm-hmm. And so it's a combination of, in a very spiritual way, being prepared for that moment. And yet, I think one of the hallmarks of the program, and certainly the Irish, is that there is a, use the French term, there's a joie de vivre, right? I mean, enjoy life. We are meant to enjoy this life. God wants us to enjoy right. this life in a very proper way, right? In a fun way. And we can do that and still at the same time, uh, take care of those, you know, our obligations to God and family and so forth that, that we're required to do, even even going above and beyond, sometimes. And and it, it's, uh, you know, it was just a, a great lesson. Uh, for I mean, you have to think we were all probably eighteen to twenty one years old mm-hmm. uh, at that time, living in a, a very sort of decadent culture. You know, when we left on this trip, you know, the late sixties, early seven or mid seventies, and mm-hmm. and um, yeah, so it really was, a, it, it kind of defined us in a way. We had this sort of camaraderie, and we over the years we've had a number of uh, humanity program you know, reunions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we, and we get together occasionally, or you go visit at the monastery and talk to some of the monks, and it, this will almost always come up in some fashion. Sure. This particular trip. Well, mm-hmm. it, was there a way, or... Was there a uniqueness to how uh, the poetry helped the healing process? Like, was it, is there something unique about poetry mm-hmm. in general that helped with the grieving process, that helped with the unity process, that's unique to mm-hmm. poetry and not other things? Yeah, that's a good question. It's it's as you know the the program had a heavy heavy emphasis on poetry and and uh, good literature. And so since we were in Ireland, um, as I said before, Professor Nellick taught uh, an, an Irish poetry class um, that I referenced a moment ago. And we actually, or at least I did, I I took a course from a 
uh, one of the professors there at Galway. Uh, it was an Irish literature, and it, it, they have such a tragic history. If you know Irish history mm-hmm. and, and their poetry and their songs are all um, about this tragic history, and yet one of the hallmarks of the Irish is that in their songs and their poetry, there's a certain joy in the music of it, you know, or the meter of it. That it's very kind of upbeat and positive. In its expression, even though it's about a very tragic event, and I, it's, it's a curious thing uh, combining this sort of joyful, uh, even you know, like meter in poetry or, or the literature, um, with these really horrific and, and tragic stories of, of Irish history, and and again, they have that that wonderful sense of humor, mm-hmm. you know, like the old man who. Gave you Introduced some tar. me to some, some really good tobacco, right? <laughs> yeah. And uh, they laugh a lot, and, and they sing a lot. We One thing I haven't mentioned, and I should, is in the two pubs, the, you know, the Irish are famous for, they, they get in there, and they just start, it, it's all spontaneous, it's not planned, it's not like, you know, the Beatles are coming to, you know, some uh, concert hall on Friday night, and you gotta get in line and buy tickets. It just, they meet in a bar, and if, if the mood hits him, one of them has a fiddle, another has a bodron, you know, the drum, and all of a sudden um, they're playing music and you're singing songs and people are dancing. It's all completely spontaneous. And that happened a lot, of, especially on the island. Uh, and some nights it wouldn't happen at all. And so uh, they just laugh and, and uh, they love one another and, and others. And, and it, it's, it's, it's such a, a beautiful spontaneous spirit of okay life is good and we need to have this sort of fun and celebration even though we have all these tragedies mm-hmm. you know whether it's historical ones or, or the boys and so forth and uh drowning there and again what a what a viable lesson back to my original point is putting all this into perspective mm. what really is important in life and and all the nonsense that we you know myself included i've done it you, we chase, you know, we, we chase these sort of nonsensical notions and dreams of ours, and and they're really not all that important. And and I think, you know, so your question, the the literature, the poetry, really brings you back to what is essential, and and that's the beauty of it, right? I mean, if if um, you you take some of the poets, even even William Butler Yeats, you know, we we read a lot of his poetry. I was there about. Um, you know the Easter 1916 rising, and and he wrote a couple poems about all that, and uh, it it really brings that alive for you that that fight for their independence. Now that was 1916, so obviously it happened way before we got there. We're not even Irish, but uh, you, you it, it allows you to some way enter into that kind of mystery and the meaning of what that meant for the Irish to be get out from underneath the heel of the British. Mm-hmm. Uh, which they had suffered under, you know, for centuries, and so, yeah, I, and I think that's the beauty of it. it it's it poetry is an experience, kind of through words, because you, as human beings, we can't just go out and experience everything in the world, right? It's just impossible. So, poetry helps bring that experience to us, and make it real. And, and professors oftentimes would say it's kind of a participation in reality, but you know, through words. Uh, since you, you know, we we can't go back and and visit the uh, Battle of Thermopylae. Right, I mean, literally, right. We can go through right. the battle, but you can't go fight in the battle. It's over, right. right? And so, how do you, you know, how do you enter into that? Uh, how do you, how do you enter into 
you know, Odysseus's journeys or Aeneas, you know, going, basically founding Rome. I mean, how do we, well, we do it through the poetry. And uh, it's powerful. And I think, that, I think that's why Plato and some others have always sent up these, you know, warning, warning signs. Be careful, poetry. Right? It's dangerous, and and there's a certain truth there, but it's so powerful. Right? And that's that's what you would be very careful. Uh, what poet, what poetry children read at you know at a young age, and even maybe as adults, because of the power and the emotion of it. Uh, it's a, it, it it really does show us this, the goodness or sometimes the badness of life. Been on the characters, mm-hmm. uh, or, or the beauty, or the ugliness, and so forth, the truth, and the falsehood, and, mm-hmm. and so yeah, I think it's 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 going back. What the professors did so well, and especially it came out on this trip, was that we have to we have to start at the beginning. I think a lot of people today want to, you know, they want to just go read, you know, Aristotle or Saint Thomas or somebody or Plato, and that's great. I mean, those are wonderful. We all should at some point read those people. But first, you know, we should read Mother Goose. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. You should, ideally, you, you would get Mother Goose on your mother, hear that on your mother's knee or your father's knee, right? And then, and then these stories of sort of adventure, you know, as we go up through childhood. And then eventually some of what we call the, you know, the great books or, or the good books on up through high school. And then... Once we have that, that's the soil, right? And that's the soil in, in which then, you know, the study then of philosophy and theology and so forth, that's the soil that it'll grow in. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we have obviously the, the grammar and logic and rhetoric, you know, the trivium, quadrivium. And and in some ways to try to, uh, what the program did was to give us that soil First, because that's the natural order of things, and that it's it's not good to try to sort of jump over certain pieces of that natural order. Sometimes you kind of maybe have to because you didn't get something, and when you were younger, you've got to play catch up, right? Or sure, shortcut or whatever. Mm-hmm, right. But um, ideally, this this is how it should work, and I and I think that's why it was so powerful. I think that's why so many conversions came out of the program, and what a lot of people don't know is then even. Some other Christians, I mean, uh, those who weren't Catholic, uh, they became stronger in their own particular faith or maybe went home and, and got more involved in their own church at home. Uh, and so, you know, in their own way. And, and I think that's what it did. It, it, it was like a fire that kind of lit our souls, mm-hmm. uh, the, the way they did it. And, it, 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 and I think that's why you, you have these vocations and all these people that go out and have done so many good things, you know, that had gone through the program uh, after after they had finished, and that that legacy, the program, you know, lives on through these mm-hmm. different people doing doing different things. Well, David, thank you very much for for being with us today and for sharing your story, for uh, sharing the, this beautiful poem. Um, anything else? No, I mean, I I, I think I. I think it's a beautiful poem. I think it's a, um, I couldn't imagine being there and, and listening to it for the first time after it, through that event. That yeah. would have been, mm-hmm. but I think, you know, there's beauty, there, you know, mm-hmm. that, that's the, there's beauty that can come from tragedy. Oh, absolutely. And it's, uh, I mean, this, yeah, this poem is the perfect example of that, uh, the, the beauty that does, does come out of a tragedy and it, it 
I think that's why tragedy is so compelling to us, right? I mean, even Aristotle said it's mm-hmm. poetics. You know, it's it's the it's because it really is the the mode that that pulls on our hearts, and then then how do you, how do you process that? And how do you come out of it on the other side of a tragedy? And uh, th- this poem, I think, expresses it beautifully. Mm-hmm. And and again, the the lessons that are really lifelong that, that go with it. I mean, you look at the stained glass windows there, and and obviously that's you know uh, Jesus on the boat, kind of calming the waters, and probably Peter there getting up, oh, pulling the fish out. It looks like of the. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know what a, and I'm sure that's our our Lady you know, Stella Maris star of the sea i'm guessing mm-hmm. um there in the middle window and and i think uh just to know that you know that god is in charge and our blessed mother's there to help mm-hmm. and that uh he even in tragedies our, our lord and our lady will you know st- still the waves mm-hmm. the turbulent waves of life and that we have great consolation with them and mm-hmm. from them and and that that's that's what we need to learn. Yep. That that is really what is important in life. Well, David, I'm I'm grateful for you. Thank you so much for for joining us. It's mm-hmm. been a, it's been a blast. We'll have to have you on well, again thanks. here soon. I enjoyed uh, it. Thank yeah. you for having me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're okay. on the Lord's so, team, the winning side. Right. So raise your glass. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, this is Bishop David Condorla of the Diocese of Tulsa in Oklahoma. So let us pray. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession was left unaided. Inspired with this confidence, I fly to thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy, Hear and answer me. Amen.